0: Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and thank you for joining us uh, in this episode of the series we call Spectrum Analysis because we're scientific and nerdy. Today's topic is, what does atypical mean? The word atypical is quite commonly used amongst the autistic community, uh, fairly unique to it, but it's reasonably self-explanatory. Atypical means not of what you'd typically expect, not normal, as it were. We don't like to use the word normal. Normal's a, a bit of a, a value judgment, which isn't particularly fair. It just means that it's not the common thing. And so you'll hear it a lot. The term uh, comes from a, from a book called Neurotribes uh, by a guy named Steve Silverman, I believe. Uh-oh, I feel like I'm getting this wrong. But it's, it's a way to distinguish people who have autism uh, versus people who don't have autism. So people who have autism are described as neuroatypical, so that their brains work different to what most people think brains should work as. Like a lot of terminology, the idea is to try and sort of take away the stigma of autism as a label. But you will notice for those people who are um, parents or children with autism, that we're going to alternate our language a little bit. It does vary depend- in, in the community depending on uh, the person as to how they're referred to. Some people refer to be called autistic as a, a adjective of themselves, so an autistic person. Some people prefer to be separated from it, so they're a person with autism. We're going to switch around between the two because our brains just Don't necessarily work that consistently. Um, So if anyone is particularly offended by the way we use the terminology, we're sorry, but it's not intentional. It's just how we talk, I guess. So so the point of this episode was to really talk about what it's like to have autistic children. So when we were brainstorming, uh, Grant had a few ideas and I feel like I've been talking for too long, so I'm going to pass it over to him. (laughs) So what is it like to have an autistic child? I think every aspect
1: of your life changes to some degree. Uh, One of the things that I first thought of was the fact that basically any social interaction with the children, like we take them somewhere, it could go badly at any time and we could have to leave. This includes weddings. We haven't tried any funerals, but it could happen at a funeral. (laughs) Uh, Birthday parties. It It sometimes involves Schools or classes or uh, Kindergarten uh, One of the, th- the lovely things about having twins Is sometimes one of them's freaking out And one of them's not <laughs> So you end up with one of them Sitting in the corner or laying in the corner Or just doing something random in the corner uh, While the other one gets to have their lesson Because it feels unfair to Suddenly turn the car around and go home because only one of them's freaking out. Mm.
0: So we had that happen a few times. One was with art class uh, when they were... What were they? Three or four, I'd say?
1: Oh, no. Probably two.
0: Oh, even younger. Okay. Um, and then the other time was at music class. So they they were doing toddler toddler music, which is basically just banging drums and hitting things. But the idea is you teach them rhythm and you teach them melody later. And uh, yes, there was a point as they were... One of them was clearly getting sick of the class where they were just hide in a corner and refuse to engage and every attempt to engage them just led to more crying and more sadness and it just became not worth it which is often the the consideration you have to make you have to ask yourself is it worth the effort
1: yes i remember with the art class in particular we put jake in like a corner as a punishment and he had a much better time in the corner and i thought (laughs) he does not want to be here This punishment is actually a reward.
0: (laughs) You prefer this to the doing art. I will say though that I, um, as, as an autistic person myself, I did appreciate having a fairly well accepted excuse because I don't like staying at place for very long because I kind of get sick of it or my social energy runs out. So it was always actually really nice to have the kids come along and go, oh, I'm sorry, my kids are getting sick of this. We have to go now. When really deep down inside, I'm like, no, I don't want to be here anymore. I think we were kind of using the kids as an
1: excuse even before they were <laughs> diagnosed. I'm pretty sure early on it was like, oh, we have twins we are too tired to still be here, <laughs> or oh no, it's getting late for the babysitter of our twins. <laughs> we must hurry home to
0: the babysitter, who did not care. <laughs> but there is some degree of a, desi- a desire to have your excuse accepted. Like it's it's kind of not acceptable if you just kind of say I'm tired and I don't want to be here. But if you can, if people hear that your child char- you have twins, or if you have your child has autism, like oh okay. I get it. It's fine. You don't need to explain any further. Um, whereas, like, I often, when, you know, before children, when I'm, like, I don't feel like being here anymore, I always felt like I had to make some sort of elaborate excuse, something that would be plausible and not ridiculous, but enough that I don't actually have to, like, explain it in great detail. Whereas once I had children, twins, and with autism, I'm like, yay, easy out now. Yes. I think, I think there was a lot of situations that
1: I would have liked to pretend I had twins when I was younger. <laughs>
0: Like basically any time I was in a nightclub. (laughs) Oh God, I hated nightclubs when I was in uni. But it was the thing you did. Like you just, it was how people went out. Yeah, they're not autistic
1: friendly. And I think we have enough autistic traits that we did not want to be at
0: nightclubs. No, nope, nope. Um, One of the things that I found about about being a, a parent of children with autism is the amount of things you just sort of learn to let go because I'm a very controlling person because I have autism and I'm still that way now. It's not to say I've grown out of it but I think one of the big things that our kids has taught me is that sometimes I just have to accept that things aren't going to go the way I want them to and that if ultimately the outcome is better or if it's in the well-being of someone who I care about I just have to go, all right, that's the end of it. You know, so if the kids aren't interested in playing a sport or if they don't want to learn a musical instrument as much as they seem to be enjoying it. Like they, uh, towards the end of their music classes, which, which only ended like, what, two years ago? Maybe three years ago. Ended prep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um they, they started learning actual play, actually playing instruments. They learned the violin, the guitar, and the piano. Not to any great detail, but enough that they had the basic skills. And at the end of the year, we asked them, you know, would you like to continue? And they expressed like a half hearted interest in guitar and violin. Um, and so we thought about it a little bit, but then as we, as we got further and further away from the end of that music course. They're just like, no, we're not interested. And part of me went, well, I think they would. It would be useful for them to have this skill early on. But at the same time, their motivation is not there the fight's not really worth it. And honestly, I didn't want to be one of those cliched Asian parents who tiger their children into learning infant because it's the thing you do. Like, most of the time when I um, talk to other, you know, uh, other Asian adults of, of my generation, we all jokingly talk about how we learned piano when we were younger and just never picked it up again. So, really, the investment... From our parents, in like the amount of effort and the amount of essentially bullying into it came to nothing. And so, I, I guess again, it coming back to the idea that I just had to let it go, you know?
1: Yes. I think one of the other things when it comes to after school classes with kids with autism is once you factor in some therapy, you can't do as many classes as other people. Like, a lot of people will do maybe a music class and a sport class, but if you've got a kid like Jake who's basically had therapy since he was four, so half his life now, and Matt started when he was about five and a half, so a bit later, but in a week, when once you factor in the therapy and you do like maybe one or two other classes and they've already got the autism so they're a bit stressed out anyway, you're not going to be able to do the same things as the other kids. Like you, you don't want to compare yourself to what everyone else is doing because yeah, you're not going to live up to their expectations because they don't have to go to therapy every week (laughs) or even
0: every fortnight. I think the the other thing about the way you, we chose classes was it wasn't even just about the activity was actually the way that the classes were structured. Cause I remember the kids showed a vague interest in footy, So AFL. And so we did what every other parent of boys do and girls in a lot of cases nowadays when we we sign them up for Auskick because Auskick is ridiculously cheap and um, really easy to access like it's everywhere. So we took them for their first in an in inverted commas, class. And it was absolute chaos. Like, there were maybe, like... There were, like, 15 or something instructors and, te- like, tens of kids on these on this oval. And there were, no one really knew what they were doing. Like, no one knew what drills they had to run. No one knew how they were meant to coordinate things. Like, half the time, the kids were just kicking the balls around somewhere. Like, no one was teaching them anything. And so, it was really up to the parents to... Um, to engage in this and that was only what I assumed was meant to happen because no one told us anything like it was just so badly organized and very quickly the kids lost interest right and they did genuinely enjoy kicking around a 40 like when we did it at home but you put them in this this you know massive group of people which again for autistic children, not great, large numbers of people, high volume, but then you throw in the fact that there's no real guidance, no real direction, and they just, they, you're not going to keep their attention that way, it's just, it's too much of a free-for-all, so you do have to be very um, aware of how the classes actually run, so we, we were really grateful for trial classes, I, I, I think most of them offered a trial class of some sort, but they never mentioned it per se, we had to Seek it out and explain our situation, and so most of the time, I think that's again the autism actually got us uh, some essentially special considerations. People would be like, "Oh, okay, we understand. We'll do this thing that we we that they may not actually normally offer to other children." Yes. So I think with the Vic kick or the Oz
1: kick, yeah, we didn't really make it out of the car park like before everything started going wrong on the first day. Because, yeah, I think Matt just looked at the oval and the kids on the oval and just freaked out. Um, But, yes, I think trial classes are very important. Because I remember we were trying to find a gymnastics class for Jake. um, And it ended up being that the most important thing about the gymnastics class for Jake was if it was quiet. Mm. (laughs) So, I remember you went to a trial class and basically you walked in the door and it was too noisy for him. Like it was nothing, nothing about the structure or just how it was.
0: It's just that they have these big gyms and they have lots of classes in them. We didn't even walk in. We actually... So, it was held at a a local high school. And there was one of those, like, roller barriers. You know, the ones that the shops have where it's, like, it's sort of brick-like bars and you can see through them. We got to that point. So, he didn't even enter the room. He could just see the room. And he just wouldn't go in. We sat in a chair for about, like, half an hour just outside. And me sitting there going, are you sure you don't want to go in? you want to look? Do you want to see? Because, you know, he did... He, the reason why we wanted him to do gymnastics was because he was tumbling around the house. Like, he'd do rolls, and he'd, he'd try to do cartwheels. Like, he he had a genuine interest. So, we're like, okay, let's jump on that. Let's try to get him engaged in something more formal so he can develop the skills. And um, it went very poorly. Uh, but then we found a, a gymnastics club that actually had an autism-specific class, which was great. Except it was aimed too low like it was a nice introduction because there was a small class there were only at most five kids had a small gym to themselves so it was quiet yep so it was completely it was completely isolated and the instructor was an occupational therapist so she was very well versed in working with kids with autism so all of that was just worked really well but the problem was our kids are what you would um, previously have called Asperger's so quite relatively high functioning with a handful of issues well, What is? but it's now classed as level 1 autism and so the problem then became that the other kids essentially just they, they, were, they weren't as well functioning and they demanded more attention um, and in fact sometimes they made more noise and the, you know, Jake and Matt would look at them and go like why are they doing that and we said well they they have autism and it's a little bit worse than yours and that's just how they are. Um, but the point is they're having fun and we always had to try to, you know, uh, explain that to them. Yeah, I think one of Jake's ongoing dislikes since he started kindergarten
1: was children his age behaving like children his age. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think kids his age acting not even as <laughs> like his kids his age was not going to work for him. However, I think spending a year in the autism class was enough to get his confidence. And then he went into a main class that he wouldn't have been able to do a year before. Mm. So I think it was still worth it. Because, like, by the end, he wanted more than he was going to get out of it. But he also, I think, had the confidence to go into a louder environment and, a like, a less organised environment with, like, a teenage volunteer instead of an occupational therapist as his teacher. mm
0: and that's the, thing, that's the other thing is the amount of preparation required when you're introducing anything new into their environment. So, of course, the biggest transition is school, you know, whether it be the kindergarten or the, the primary school. We will both have to be very conscious of making making the teachers particularly aware of of uh, Matt and Jake's unique difficulties, um, whether it be sensory or you know a number of people or certain behaviors or whatever it may be, um, you know easing them into it, making sure they have the right supports, all these questions that we had to ask ourselves in anticipation, even though the reality is there's no predicting exactly what's going to happen and that's true of anyone. But when you throw autism into the mix, it's it's almost this sort of half preparedness. It's like you know enough to, to be aware and to have the worry and to want to fix it, but you don't know enough to actually fix or anticipate everything. And I almost feel sometimes like I'd it would, you know, if they didn't have autism, I could kind of live in ignorant bliss because I can kind of be like, well, OK, you know, there are some things they're going to they're going to have fun challenging, but it'll be no different to any other kid. I'm sure the teacher can handle it. It'll be fine. But yes, yeah, sometimes it is not fine. I, I went on every
1: excursion for the first two years of school. <laughs> Mm. And there was at least one excursion where, at the end, the teacher's like, "I'm so glad you were here."
0: <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that because you're a teacher and you could basically do half the job of the teacher just in, in case the kids became particularly unruly?
1: No, I think just like just for the sake of our kids. Like, I think they did appreciate the fact that I could, you know, do some classroom control within limits. Like, I always knew my place. Mm. Um, so I think they did appreciate the fact that I would get the class to sit down. (laughs) I knew all the kids' names, which also helped Mm. from going on all the excursions and going to the classroom a lot. Um, but yeah, I think it was the zoo excursion where the teacher was like, yeah, I don't think I would have got through this with your kids if you hadn't been here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the zoo excursion again? I forget.
1: Just a few little things. Like just, um, yeah, just a few little freak outs about different things. Mm. a bit just a bit overwhelmed like i think one of the problems was like i i drove myself to the zoo because they didn't have room for me on the bus but the bus was really loud so jake basically had a bad time going to the zoo Mm. um so he started on the wrong foot there i if i had thought ahead i would have given him noise cancelling headphones but i think that was the first time he had trouble with a bus so after that i started giving him noise
0: cancelling headphones for buses they doesn't need them anymore, which is good. Yeah, but and and well, obviously, we're lucky to live in an age of technology where something like noise cancelling headphones exists. Because I'm mm. um, you know, normal headphones probably work okay, but the the um the positive impact of noise cancelling headphones is really quite remarkable. And I say that from personal experience <laughs> because I remember the first time I bought uh, my my when I bought my first pair of noise cancelling headphones, it was like, it was like a light shone on my life all of a sudden. I'm like, is this what it feels like to have no noise in my life? This is amazing. And so for someone, for a kid like Jake, who has noise sensitivities, I cannot even imagine how much of a wonder that would have been when he was feeling overwhelmed by it. Mm. See, I think one of the
1: times about having to leave things when things go wrong was Aladdin when we went to (sighs) the, the actual special needs matinee of a Latin to try to get that like show them a play because we thought that would be a good thing to do and everything just went wrong Really quickly,
0: <laughs> but but again, let's let's let me set this up. So, um, Amaze, which is an advocacy organisation for autism uh, in Australia, probably the the top one in uh, that I'm aware of anyway. They had um, arranged some autism friendly uh, performances. What that means is they reduced the strobe lighting, the volume was turned down. Um, they basically had a whole bunch of different accommodations. There was a sensory room with that was staffed, so there was different toys and other things for. People, if they were feeling overwhelmed, and we thought this was a brilliant idea. Grant and I, are avid theatre goers, you um, know, and we really, we did want to see Aladdin, and we're like, let's let's engage the kids in this part of our life, so they know, you know, when we go out, sometimes this is what we're going out to see. So it was a matinee performance. We had uh, lunch in the city because they loved the city and they loved going out. So we tried to make it the whole thing as positive as possible. And I know I went in thinking this is great. We've got everything set up. We'll be fine. And they were genuinely excited. Or at the very least they said they were excited. In the lead-up, within 10 minutes of the lights going out, they were restless, they were frustrated, um, they were sad. Just just too many things went wrong. And obviously, the key thing is that they just weren't interested. And that's something you always have to be careful of with, with autistic kids. Is that you have to make sure they're engaged. Because as soon as they stop caring... It just it it becomes ten times more difficult to keep them interested, so not only did it go wrong, the problem was I didn't think it would go wrong because I thought we'd done everything within our power to try and set them up for success, and through. You know, again, the the virtue of life being completely unpredictable, they hated it, and even though we took them out to the sensory room, gave them a bit of time, tried to go back in, it just ended up not being worth it. So, not even maybe half an hour into the into what would have been a what two two and a half hour three hour performance, we left. Like it, we just yeah, they didn't make it to the genie. No, no. So yeah, we just we didn't bother at all.
1: Yeah, like. I remember, like, early on, when they were younger, like, people would talk about, like, at kinder, they'd go, oh, you know, our family went to see this movie. We couldn't go see movies. Like, we tried to take them to... Like, we took them to Finding Dory. was probably the first movie that were even vaguely successful. And even then, they were sideways, upside down, like, just... They were unable to sit in a chair. Like, they were unable to watch a DVD. Like, I tried to show them Disney movies at home. Unable to do that. They're now probably... They've made it through a couple of movies. But in their entire life, they've probably only been to two or three movies. And even we got to the point in prep, some of the kids started having movie birthdays. But thankfully, the boys weren't invited because I don't know what would have happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> I... I I was like, oh, what if they get invited to a movie birthday and I have to basically say, yeah, they can't sit through a movie. Like, <laughs> They mm. just can't do that. They can't, yeah. So thankfully it was girl parties that went to the movies. <laughs> 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 the boys were much more active. So they, the boy parties didn't go to the movies, which was nice. And the, the unisex
0: parties did not go to the movies,
1: <laughs> mm. which
0: was also nice. Um, there is one really interesting thing that's happening now with Matt, which I I think is part of autism, which is so Matt's Matt's a very passively popular person. He he attracts people because he's funny and kooky and like he just and he doesn't particularly care what other people think of him. Or at the very least, he doesn't he doesn't come off as someone who actually cares that much. But what then happens is that he, he only develops very shallow friendships. Um, he doesn't invest in them, uh, whereas Jake is the complete opposite. He'll have one really good friend at a time, and that's it. Like, he might have a handful of satellite friends, but for the most part, there's one focal friend, and, and he'll it'll be a very intense friendship for however long it lasts. And so um, during coronavirus, while we're shut down, Matt is not really engaging with his friends and not really interested in doing it because he has his brother, Jake, and because Jake has his one intense friend. uh, He's sort of latching onto that. And it worries me because I feel like if he doesn't invest in friendships now, and look, maybe this is really unnecessarily advanced for an eight-year-old, for me to expect an eight-year-old to figure all this stuff out. But I worry that he's going to come out of this shutdown and like his friends will have had adventures on their own through, you know, FaceTime interactions and other games and stuff, but they just, they won't be around anymore. And he'll be alone and be like, why am I alone? And you're like, well, you didn't put in any effort to your relationships. What did you think was going to happen? So I, I do, I, I do wonder whether it's, it's sort of two sides of the same coin on the one hand. It's nice that he doesn't, become overly emotionally attached because then loss is harder. But at the same time, I feel like I want to push him to engage more.
1: Yeah, I think the popularity has been an interesting one because I think we prepared for them to be quite
0: unpopular
1: and they've actually ended up being more popular than we expected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So even sometimes when you think you know what it is and you're going to prepare for it, it just doesn't eventuate. Like, they're actually a really supportive school. I've been surprised at how accommodating the kids are like I think the main moment for me was the end of grade one they did a swimming intensive so they were and I was the I was the designated male there which is fun so, so I was in charge of the prep and grade one male change room <laughs> and I was in there one of the first days I was there um across a two-week period and the preps particularly were being very noisy and Jake started crying in the middle of a change room and I thought that, you know, that would be a terrible sin and everyone would mock him. But the other kids were like, oh, you've got to be quiet. You've got to keep it quiet. He doesn't like it when it's noisy. And they looked after him and they encouraged quiet in the change room. And I was like, this is a good school. Mm. (laughs) Because, like, I think it was grade two when I started being bullied. And according to your mum, you were bullied around that time as well. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but part, part of that may have... There There are a few factors to that. Part of it, I imagine, was socioeconomic. Part of the other part of the thing was that I... I was actually bullied in grade three, mostly. But that's when I had skipped a grade. So, I skipped grade two. So, I went to grade three. I was the youngest and the smallest and other factors that, you know, bullies like to identify and pick on. Mm. Um, So, I was fairly miserable. And then... But then... I, but the other problem and we're getting a bit off topic here, but the other problem was that actually the teachers weren't particularly nice or supportive at all. Because I, I distinctly remember a moment when I stood up to my bully by spitting on him. The bully then went and complained to the teacher and I got reprimanded for spitting on him, not for the fact that I was being, like I was being cor- quite literally physically cornered. Um, so I think there were other other things contributing to that. Sometimes they have zero tolerance against spitting. <laughs> yes, Kind of missing the point about me standing up for myself, but no, sure. no, I like
1: I do appreciate you standing up for yourself, but I, you know, I mean, maybe they're in a
0: tough situation. Maybe I don't, I, I don't know. I was, I was what, like eight, at yeah. The time.
1: But the point I was trying to make was that his peers are about the same age or younger than the kids were. These kids who bullied us were mm. when they bullied us,
0: and these kids stood up for him instead of bullying him but you can't even engineer that kind of stuff like it's just it's luck Mm. for for the kids just to to be lucky enough to have a a group of other kids who are considerate and sensitive and obviously there are a number of things that contribute to that you know the parents being certain kinds of people maybe it's just again socioeconomic who knows like there are so many things but we really lucked out I distinctly remember a story you told me about um Jake having a Spartacus moment, so there was another kid in his class who ha also has autism, but a slightly slightly higher degree of it, like he's slightly more dysfunctional, but accommodations have been made, and he's doing okay and we've always been very open with both of the kids about the fact that they have autism, and we sort of explained to them some which which of the problems they have are related to the autism and we we normalise it and say this is something that you are going to always have but you don't have to get rid of it it gives you lots of strength as well as positives and I think you told me at one point that... Um, the teacher started having a conversation explaining why this other kid child has autism and how that affects him and then Jake stands up and goes I have autism too and then like two or three other kids there was like I have autism and I have autism and everyone was just super supportive about it and it was great it was it was that this feeling of course, you know, making it about us, um, particularly about me. But it was like a sense of accomplishment that we'd made it so that the autism isn't something to fear or something to be ashamed of, that it's just a part of you in the same way that it's part of your... person, Like like it's a part of your personality, you know? And kind of which winds us back nicely to the whole point of this topic, which is what does atypical mean? And that's the point. Atypical is about taking away the stigma of a disease or a diagnosis and kind of saying, well, it's not that I have a condition. It's just that I'm not like you. And that's not a problem. It just makes me different.
1: Yes, I think I think Jake had a opposite moment this year, which is <laughs> where the teacher assumed another child who had autism knew that he had autism and he did not.
0: <laughs>
1: Hold on, what?
0: I don't remember this.
1: No, I might not have told you that. But yeah, so basically the teacher assumed that both of them knew they had autism, but Jake knew and the other kid didn't know. Oh, whoops. Yeah, whoops. (laughs) That's awkward. So not everyone is as open and it's personal choice. Like I was talking to the parent and I basically, when you get a kid diagnosed at two, you can't explain it to them. Mm. So you then have to kind of pick a time to tell them. Because you can't, yeah. Like it's nothing. It's something that, especially with autism, it's not something that they can't understand at the point of diagnosis. If it's if it's an early diagnosis, mm. so then you have to pick at some point to
0: tell them. And sometimes you just forget to tell them. Mm. I don't remember us making an active choice, like an active time or scheduling anything to tell them. I, I like. I feel like we just did it in response to something that happened, perhaps. Like, maybe they were having some anxiety issues and when they were, I don't know, five or six with them, we just said, well, just so you know, this is because you have autism. And again, it wasn't that... Well, certainly from my perspective, it wasn't that I expected them to get it straight away. It was something that was going to have to be reinforced and reattributed and and normalised. But... I don't know, I always always took the position that we just talk about it as though we were talking about what we are going to have for dinner. And that's the way you do it. Rather than trying to turn it into this massive moment, this big reveal, you just say it as though it was an everyday thing. Because really, it is. It is It is an everyday occurrence. The incidence is high and it is going to affect the everyday life. So why make a big deal about it?
1: Yeah, I know. But we didn't really talk about it like that for the first two years after diagnosis. So, we did, at some point, start talking like that.
0: Mm. But how, because the kids were diagnosed when they were four? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't... Well, at least from my perspective, I didn't avoid talking about it because I didn't want to talk about it. I avoided... I just... It just never came up and it didn't seem like they were going to be old enough to understand. Mm. So, what were your experiences? If you have children with autism, tell us about what you found uh, was different in terms of what you expected parenting to be like um, and how you've had to adapt to uh to your child and what kind of accommodations you've made and even some of the good stuff like some of the beautiful moments that come from having children with autism let us know find us on facebook and instagram at the atypical rainbow we'd love to hear your stories and we hope that you uh seek us out for the next episode in whichever series you seem to find enjoyable thanks very much and we'll uh we'll talk to you next time